Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. For decades, milk has been fueling women marathon runners as the OG performance drink. And in the new docu-series, Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers takes us on a journey of self-discovery as she meets several groups of empowered women runners to find out what drives them, what fuels them, and what pushes them to go the distance. And in the process, she learns that she too can be a distance runner. You can watch the series at runningsuckstheseries.com. And register for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, welcome to the Longform Podcast. Uh, I'm Aaron Lammer. I'm here with my co-hosts, uh, Max Linsky from Longform, Evan Ratliff from The Atavist. Good morning, fellas. Great morning. Excellent morning. The best. I'm feeling good. Uh, I understand that you were feeling good while you are doing this interview, Max. I was feeling good when I was doing this interview. <laughs> uh, I talked to Cord Jefferson, who is the West Coast editor for Gawker. Um, and I really want to talk to him because he writes these uh, feel-good sort of personal essays. The guy kind of like, uh, he's a very sincere writer and he writes still, he's writing for Gawker. I don't know. I'm interested in what he's doing. So I made him come in and Some talk to me about it. Too. He's yeah, he just did that thing where he, he, uh, he was talking about how like uh, the white community needs to step in with their rambunctious white youth. Hilarious. If you have something hilarious to say to the people in your life, check out Tiny Letter from the good people at MailChimp. They are our sponsor. They make a powerful but simple way that you can send an email newsletter. We thank them for their sponsorship, and we have another sponsor. We do, Hulu Plus. Hulu Plus allows you to stream thousands of TV shows and movies straight to your phone or tablet or TV or anywhere else you would want to watch those things. Uh, you can sign up now and get a free trial, huluplus.com slash longform. And here's Max in conversation with Cord Jefferson. Hey, Cord Jefferson. Hello, Max. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. Thanks for um, coming to Dumbo and doing doing the podcast. Thank you for having me. All right, so there's like a, there are um, a whole slew of things I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. Here are some things that I, I plan on talking about. Okay. Um, a thing that I want to talk to you about is. Uh, you have written, well, you're sort of a little askew from like the people that we normally talk to, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not writing giant features for yeah. giant, giant magazines. Yeah. Uh, you mostly write for the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to talk about that a little bit. You've also written these two essays, which, uh, really just like punched me in the stomach mm-hmm. and I wanted to talk to you about them. Okay. So I asked you to come on because I just <laughs> want to ask you about them. Yeah. Um, and they both they both really got me in like uh, I was thinking about it today. I was trying to like figure out why they like got me so much. And I think they really like they both got me in like my like sensitive bro underbelly. <laughs> they were just like hit me right there in my like in my in my tenderest most sensitive bro underbelly. So I want to talk to you about those. Um, and then the other thing I want to talk to you about we have uh, people who come on a lot 
who have reached these kind of heights of specifically long form journalism, but magazine stuff and just American journalism in general. Mm -hmm. And a pretty consistent like critique of the conversations we're having, or at least something that people really want to talk about is money and particularly like money early in people's career. And basically mm -hmm. Basically, what people want to hear is like, I got help, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, of because course. we have a lot of folks who are listening who are like younger journalists and uh, trying to figure out like how the hell you get by in this stuff. And yeah. I think you've written pretty eloquently about that, too. So I'm, I'm hoping we can talk about that. But here's where I want to start. Right. Okay. So you are right now the West Coast editor for Gawker. That's your title. Yep. And on the site, you put up a couple of posts every day, mm -hmm. short stuff, mm -hmm. pretty like classic blogging yeah like the blogging that you're yeah, doing absolutely um you've also written these essays which i love so much uh and you just did this thing where that was satire yeah uh which is like pretty straight comedy and then you the white took, rage piece the white rage yeah. piece yeah. yeah and then took that to msnbc and did it with chris hayes which yeah. is like straight up like performance art <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> so how do you think of yourself i mean how do you define yourself in this world are you a journalist are you a writer are you like a memoirist are you a like, I, are you an entertainer when yeah when, when people ask me what i do i just tend to say that i'm a writer um and that is that's what i set out to do you know i put i put writer on my taxes and I, that that there's a lot of joy in that for me there's a lot of joy in in kind of i just sit down and and, and stare at a blank page and 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 write stuff and and whether that be satire like that like that white rage piece or whether it be a personal essay or whether it be straightforward blogging stuff i, I to me it was all it, it's kind of strange i never sat down to i never sat down to be a journalist i never sat down to be a novelist i never sat down to be a comedy writer i just wanted to to do this thing that i just wanted to be a writer which is this all-encompassing thing to me and um the fact that i haven't been forced to pick one path or or choose uh, one genre of writing uh, thus far in my career is is something that I'm actually pretty happy about, and uh, I think in a, in a, in a, in a way I might be a little bit disappointed if I if I if I was kind of latched to one one genre of writing or, or one style of writing. Um, I think that I think that it's kind of fun to be able to go in and, and say like I want to write a kind of a long form reported journalistic piece today, or or um, I want to go in and write a personal essay today, and the great thing about Gawker is that you can do that. There's room to do that. There's a lot of places that don't give you that kind of freedom. And that's one of the beautiful things about, about being there is that just as long as it's interesting, as long as it's funny, as long as it's good, they're, they're open to the idea. Do you, like, how, how does the inspiration for that stuff come? So, like, let's take the, the white rage piece as mm -hmm. an example. Like, was that an idea? Maybe, well, maybe you can just like summarize it quickly for people who maybe didn't read it. Although if anyone was on the internet and didn't see that story, <laughs> it would be kind of amazing. It was, uh, yeah, it was, there was, there was these, uh, there was these surf riots in the, in the wake of, uh, in the wake of this surf competition in Huntington Beach and a bunch of, uh, teenagers, many of whom were white, uh, destroyed Huntington Beach and, and sort of were getting in fights in the streets and overturning porta potties and smashing stuff and looting. You just and like slipped into your like uh, newscaster <laughs> <Yeah>. voice, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just uh, it was, and, and I just made fun of it, and, and, and I tr I used it to make fun of. Um, it was it was timely because the week before you had Bill O'Reilly. 
um, in the wake of the Trayvon Martin verdict saying that, you know, young black people are bringing this upon themselves because there's this there's this thug culture that exists in the black community. And that's why the black community can't pull itself up by its bootstraps, just kind of like classic conservative nonsense. And then you had uh, Don Lemon, who is actually exacerbated everything by saying by going in his CNN show and saying, you know, Bill O'Reilly has a point and, you know, it's the, the black kids are sagging their pants and they're littering. And I mean, it's just nonsense. Everybody knows it. I mean, not everybody, obviously, but but it, it, it it's ridiculous. And so um, coming off of that and, and sort of thinking about how to how to talk about those issues, but without doing the same kind of um, just like angry blogging that so many people end up doing. Yeah. The, 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 the riots came along, and I found it was a perfect opportunity to kind of mock the Bill O'Reilly's and the Don Lemons of the world in an interesting way. And it's, I mean, obviously satire and even satire of that stripe is, uh, is not anything new. I didn't invent the wheel, but it was, uh, it was fun to write and, 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 I mean, it obviously did very well, and I'm, I'm happy about that. And that came to that came to light just because we were joking around in campfire. It was just a chat. I, I just put the link for the for the riot story into campfire, and just made you know like a stupid like joke. Campfire like, is like the internal Gawker. Yeah, message it's like it's like, it's like the internal Gawker like chat system. Yeah, I just threw it in. And it was like these dangerous white teenagers are out of control, you know. And Tom Skoka, uh, the managing editor of Gawker, was like, you should expand on that do that and so it was you know it was a it was a kernel of an idea and then he just said write that and so i wrote it and it took like 45 minutes and then it was up and it, really you just wrote it in 45 minutes mm-hmm. yeah do you think that that's and then like all right well walk us through that right so you like put that thing up mm-hmm. and then pretty quickly it's like every everywhere yeah that's the be- i mean that's the that's the beautiful thing about uh i mean there's something there's something maddening about uh, I, I'll admit that that writing in this day and age, there's something maddening about the idea that that you know even even as recently as like ten, fifteen years ago, um, plenty of writers you know got weeks and weeks to work on pieces, and 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 they're, they're or they're working at a magazine and they get to work for months and months on stuff, and and um, that to me, I really envy that sometimes this idea of. Because the clarity of thought that you get when you can actually sit down and, and sleep on something and come back to something over the, a period of um, weeks and months and even years sometimes, the, the clarity of thought that you can get with that really does improve a piece from time to time. And, and I, I think that I'm jealous of of the, the writers in that era who got who got the time to do that kind of thing. Do you feel like you don't have the option of doing that? Like, are there not no. pieces that get to like percolate in your mind for a while? There are absolutely pieces that get to do that, even at Gawker. But but the thing is, is that there's also the pieces that you kind of have to you have to write because it, it's a it's a it's a 24 hour news cycle, and it's and and you publish everything throughout the day, and you you sometimes just need to write something for that day. And so so the so there are. I, I think that any person who writes consistently for the internet would be lying if they said that they didn't publish something that maybe even two days later they didn't necessarily agree with, or 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 at least they didn't agree with, you know, a, a significant portion of it because they because they got time to think about it, and that's that's a little frustrating. But the beauty is is that it also th- that kind of speed allows for something like that like that riots piece because right. it was. Um, 
you know, it was, it was a quick idea. It was, you know, it was funny to us. We thought it would have an impact. And so we were able to bang it out in the course of an hour and, and put it up and it, and it did really well and it took off and I'm not, that, that happens from time to time. And so there's, it's a blessing and a curse sometimes the the speed of the internet. Do you think like, um, you kind of have to have like the mentality of an athlete with that stuff? Like you got to just like, like a shooter just keeps shooting until they hit one, you know, like you can't, you got to just put it out of your mind. Yeah. Even if you like look back at something on the site from a couple of days ago and you're like, eh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You be like, move on, like it, moving forward. Yeah. And that's something that, and that's something that has taken me a long time to learn. And that was something that, uh, I used to be really gun shy about, about what I published and it used to be really nerve wracking. And, and especially when you start at Gawker, which has such a huge audience, so many, when you start at Gawker, pretty much everybody that I've seen who starts, um, has it gets gun shy and gets really nervous because you're you're kind of terrified at, at what you at, at how quickly people are going to see everything that you do and how, how does that change are. like do, do you have to just like <laughs> put something stupid up once and get like dinged everywhere and realize like you're still like breathing afterwards yeah it's a day i mean it's the it's it's a uh it's a daily struggle with yourself and there are there are some days where i leave the office or i mean I you generally work from home where so so where I get up from my desk. Some days where I put pants on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some days when I leave my bed, uh where I, I I feel disappointed and feel like I haven't haven't really done a lot of that. D- done a lot of stuff that I that I really liked that day. But um there are also days when, when I'll put something up that I really love and that I think is really good and, and those um and that I think have, you know, helped the dialogue and, and, and helped um progress a conversation or or or, or, or added some value to the world in a certain way and, and those days um, balance out the days where I'm not too pleased and I think that there's there's ups and downs with everybody and you can't I mean you, not everything's going to be a home run and you just kind of have to you have to sort of make peace with that and move forward I just want to talk about this for one second I mean do you think that like um, those muscles are like in relationship to each other like do you think if you get if you're working that 24-hour news cycle and you're putting up a couple posts a day and you're like linking off with a joke and doing that over and over again and Mm -hmm. you're building up like that's you start seeing the world that way a little bit yeah and that becomes like a way that you write that's like a muscle that gets in shape do you think that that muscle gets in shape at the detriment of sort of your longer term thinking or are they kind of unrelated and you're just Cord Jefferson writer I apply my writerly brain to whatever I want that is a good question, and it is, but it's something that I I feel like I've been able to avoid because I write so many different things. You know, I I I you know I'll, I'll write like a thirty five hundred word piece or or a five thousand word piece, and then I'll also write a, a a a snarky you know kind of cutting joke in, in one line, linking out to some other place. And I think that um, I don't think that. I don't think that one is necessarily better than the other. I, I, I kind of, it really makes me sad to, um, it really makes me sad to, to hear um, any anyone sort of disparage kind of the speed and the and the, and the immediacy and the, and the the economy of words that the internet uses sometimes. I think there are some people who are, who are absolutely brilliant in 140 characters, you know, and I, and I think that that the, the there are people whose abilities on the internet are are kind of are kind of amazing to me, and and I think that th- that there's some things that that there's a there's tweets that people write that to me can be as interesting or as funny as a two thousand word essay that somebody writes, and and I don't think that I don't think that that doing one too often should 
sort of fatigue your other muscles to do the other. I think that maybe there's, um, I guess that, I guess that it does, I guess the way that the internet might influence your thinking is, is there is kind of a, a general tone to the internet and there is kind of a, a tone to the internet that is, um, cause I'm, I'm, it's, it's funny that you said sensitive bro. I, I, I'm, uh, I consider myself kind of a sincere person sometimes, uh, maybe uh too that was sincere. my that was my insincere way of saying that your, your sincerity <laughs> yeah. gets me yeah um i think that i think that i i tend to be a pretty pretty sincere human being and i think that there is every now and again the way that uh the way that i use the internet and the way that the internet um carries itself and the way the internet has dialogues is often very insincere and uh and and is a little bit um you know tongue-in-cheek all the time uh that 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 concerns me i don't ever want to lose my sincerity i don't ever want to lose my ability to um feel uh emotional about things that that i write about i don't ever want to i don't ever want to like everything that i write i i have a distance from you know and i think that that's i think that 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 can be a danger sometimes of writing too much for the internet is that you have this kind of you have this kind of uh, elitist distance from everything and that, you know, not, nothing really matters, you know. Hey, this is that uh, moment in the show where I pause things and tell you about our sponsor. We've got a sponsor. Amazing. It's Hulu Plus. Even more amazing. Uh, you've probably tried Hulu.com. You know about it. All kinds of new TV shows, all kinds of great movies. Uh, Hulu Plus allows you to take all that stuff and stream it to your phone your tablet, your TV. That's what I do using Roku. It streams in HD. It's great. There are actual shows you would want to watch. Saturday Night Live is on there. The Daily Show is on there. Modern Family, I don't know, everything else that just won an Emmy. They've also got original stuff now. Uh, they've got a new show called The Awesomes that stars Saturday Night Live's Seth Meyers. Another show called Moon Boy, which stars Chris O'Dowd from Bridesmaids. Anyway, there's all kinds of great stuff on there. You can watch as much of it as you want using Hulu Plus for just $8 a month. And right now, if you go to HuluPlus.com slash longform, that's HuluPlus.com slash longform, you can get an extended free trial. Try it out. See if you like it. Uh, if you're going to do that, though, really do use that URL. It's a way of uh, supporting the show, which we appreciate. All right, let's get back to court. I, I apologize for, like, taking a snarky response to <laughs> that very sincere comment, but I think there's something kind of uh, most people maybe would not assume that someone who works at Gawker yeah. is a fierce defender of their own sincerity. Yeah. That's not the like standard sort of Gawker pitch. Is it tricky to do that there or is uh or is it not? Like I guess how how do you writing for a place that is maybe even sort of like too well known mm -hmm. for that side. Yeah. Um how do you sort of keep that in check? How do you like keep sort of doing what you want to do? How do you stay sincere? Um, the, the the I mean, look, I don't think that some of the some of the uh, assumptions people have about Gawker are all untrue. I'm not I'm not gonna say that that uh, everything that 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 people say about Gawker is is necessarily inaccurate. I will say that a lot of it I think is inaccurate, and I will say that I think that if people actually look look on Gawker and actually read it consistently, they'll see that it's not it's not like a snark factor. I remember I remember thinking I remember reading when I first started somebody um somebody tweeted like, Oh, 
classic example of the Gawker Snark factory. Well, like this is what this is what they do so well. And I remember thinking that like if you actually believe that Gawker is just purely a snark factory, then you don't read Gawker. You read articles about Gawker from 2008. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't even read current articles about Gawker. You read you read six year old articles about right, Gawker. Right. And this is where you're New drawing York magazine. Con- yeah, this is where you're this is where you're drawing conclusions well, from. Again, I don't think that it's inaccurate to say that people on Gawker can be mean sometimes, and and that. Um, that 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 in the past there's been stuff on Gawker that's been mean spirited. I, I I'm not going to I'm not going to say that. But at the same time, I, I think that I would like to think that every time that I've written on Gawker hasn't been malicious to people who think that think that what we do is mean, and to people who think that um, that it's just kind of people are in there and like banging out posts and like cackling and, and, and really excited to see tears and to see people's lives ruined. That's not the case. The staff of Gawker is full of smart, thoughtful, talented people. I really, I really do believe that. I feel like people envision us like our feet on the desks and like, like high-fiving one another as we like t- tear a person's life apart. And that's have jars of tears. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's not, that's not the case, but I do think that Gawker is committed to telling truths, um, and I think that oftentimes truths, uh, unvarnished truths, can be painful for people to read and, and can be painful um, for people's friends and family to read. And I think that there is, uh, I, I'm paraphrasing Hamilton Nolan, uh, an interview that, that he did, I, I want to say with Pointer um, or Romanesco. And Hamilton said that essentially that Gawker's commitment is to the truth, and that's that's the one that's the one commitment that people have, and and I think that sometimes, um, sometimes that 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 irritates people because I think that the way that Gawker writers view the truth sometimes is is probably the differently than than the way that people Gawker writes about view the truth. All right, I want to talk about the New York essay. You wrote this essay about leaving New York, and it was on Gawker. Yeah, and then but you also wrote this essay about your friend's dad mm-hmm. who uh was this kind of like wonderful guy this wonderful adventurous guy mm-hmm. uh, who had taken his own life mm-hmm. uh, while you were on an adventure with his son who's one of your best friends yeah and um it's really like it's a it's a wonderful thing if you have not read it go read it it is ultimately about like uh why you should jump off like literal cliffs <laughs> yeah. at, in addition to metaphorical <laughs> ones um and like again you know it it like got me. I was like, I shouldn't go jump off a cliff. I would like to jump <laughs> off a cliff. I also don't really like heights. I played football and hated it. Like yeah. it was like, yeah, all right, all right. I'm, gonna, I, I'm hang gliding, okay. Um, but you published that on the all, mm-hmm. and it was. A, I guess like here's what I'm saying. Like I really liked that essay. It was, it it was different than most of the stuff I read on the internet. It was really sincere. Yeah, it was personal. Like. You were kind of like vulnerable and out there, and it was funny and stuff. But unlike a lot of the stuff on the internet, like uh, it made me feel like good afterwards. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? It was like optimistic and <laughs> yeah. hopeful, which is like chicken soup for the soul. <laughs> it's like point oh one percent of the internet there. You know, like most days, I sit and look at the internet, and like I leave, and I'm like, oh god, I, <laughs> you know, like I don't, I don't feel great. Yeah. First of all, like why was that on the all and not on Gawker? That was on the all because the all that was for an all series at the end of last year about uh, the best advice that you got all year. And when um, when Leo had uh, had committed suicide, uh, I I kind of stepped back from it for a bit, and it took me a while. 
but I kind of knew that I wanted to write about it one day, and I didn't know what I wanted to write about him, but I just felt that um, I felt that there he was a man that I wanted to write about, um, and. I didn't know how to do that, and I and I talked to my friend Chris, and I I first asked him and and asked his family if they would feel comfortable with me ever if, ever writing about this, um, and they all gave me their blessing, and so I thought about it for a little bit more, and then uh, and then they all like serendipitously came and said, hey, we've we've got a we're doing this end of the year series, um, would you want to contribute something to it? And I thought that that would be a perfect time to write about this. Um, so it was. It wasn't like I took that piece to Gawker and they said, "No, we're not going to do this." Um, Gawker does is like obviously very, very timely and news driven. But Gawker, uh, have you seen? Have you seen? A, Gawker does like a like an essay series on Saturdays. Yeah, on Saturdays, yeah. it's great. Um, run by Kesey Lehman. It's the, so so. It's not a place where that that is necessarily anti any kind of literary uh, essays or right, things right, like right. that. So so that and that was. That started with that New York piece, leaving New York piece. To talk a little bit more about that New York, I say, what mm-hmm. what was the like, what was the reaction to it? I know that at least one reaction was me emailing you from the San Francisco airport, <laughs> where I was like, I just spent like a week on the West Coast, and it was like gorgeous. I've been in like Seattle, and it was like that perfect Seattle weather. Yeah. And everyone was in like the best mood. Yeah, and I just I was like, what am I doing? Like, what? <laughs> why, why do I live in this place? <laughs> Good. Live, in, live in a box, spend Good. a million dollars. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> so beautiful here. Everyone's so happy. Good. That was. Uh, so you really? It was like there was like a sunset at SFO. You know, and I was just like oh, one man. of those perfect California days. Yes. I should just, I should just like uh, mm-hmm. throw this ticket away and walk out that front door. You can still do it. LA is big. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> New York is amazing. Are you crazy? <laughs> the best city on the world. <laughs> um, but what was the reaction to that piece, man? What was uh? Um, the, the reaction was, uh, I mean, it's a comment section is a comment section and the reaction in the comment section was a lot of New Yorkers screaming at me that I just didn't get it. You just didn't get it. You're a quitter. New York doesn't want you here anyway. You like you whiny hipster. So there was, there was a lot of that in the comments, but then, um, behind the scenes, I got a ton of emails about that and even a couple phone calls, I think, um, from people who, who said that it was really important to them and really helped them in a certain way. And I think that, um, when people leave New York, they feel like losers and they feel like they couldn't cut it. And I think that when that's very much the case for when people leave any big city, you know, when people leave L.A., when people leave San Francisco, I think they feel like um, it's, it can be a very difficult thing for people. And so some of the most beautiful emails that I got were from people who left New York or for people who were considering leaving New York and were saying who who said, like, this really helps me feel better about my decision because there's a, there's a lot of there's people who. A lot of people who really tie their ego and their sense of self-worth to the city that they live in. That's something that really, that's something that really opened my eyes to that, um, to that phenomenon. I kind of touched on that in the piece, but, but I didn't really realize the depth of that for, for many people. Um, and I got a lot of emails from people who said, you know, I, I left New York. I'm living back home with my parents because it was, you know, that, that, that was, you know, mid- Right. Mid financial crisis, when yeah. a lot of people are moving home and are moving away from these big cities, um, I live I live at home with my parents, or you know I moved to a different place because there just wasn't any work in New York. Um, who really appreciated it? Who who sort of who who had who had been wanting to read something? Not a, like there's so many pieces about how New York is so great and why New York City is the best place in the world. You know, like there there's who wants who wants to read that again? You know, and, and I think that 
New Yorkers want to read that again. You know, New Yorkers sure, want yeah. to. Yeah, New Yorkers because I think need that, some living yeah. in a box affirmation. Yeah, exactly. You need to you need to delude yourself in a certain way that this that it's all worth it. But that that piece and that kind of bout of sincerity uh, did really well, and 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 I think that people were people were happy to read it, and, and it was it did well traffic wise, and and that that is probably. That piece is probably the one that I still get the most emails about. I'll still like at least once a month get a, get an email from somebody that's like, "I just moved to L.A. or from New York, or I just moved away from." Can New we York. hang out? Yeah, <laughs> it was like so. That was really important to me, and I'm really happy that you said it. I like that phrase, "bout of sincerity." How important is like traffic as a metric for what you're doing? Like, <laughs> are, like when you write that Chris Hayes thing or when you post that essay, mm-hmm. are you like, "This is gonna kill"? And does that mean? You know that number next to the post is going to be huge. Um, I think anybody who writes to the internet would be lying if they say they don't consider traffic. Um, and that is, I guess, I'm asking how important is that compared to like something that uh, putting out something that like uh, you won't feel that way two days later. You won't feel kind mm-hmm. of sheepish about two days later. Traffic is important to me. Um, I mean, let's get real. Traffic is integral to what I do. The reason that the reason that I have my job is to try and get as much traffic as possible for an internet website like at its core let's like I'm, I'm i'm fully willing to put that on the table and just and, and say that that is at its core what we do we we exist and we are successful because we get a lot of eyeballs on our website um as far as whether or not writing something whether or not i consider like the popularity of it on the internet as being important when i write something i would say that that is um that is not something that sort of comes into my mind a lot when i when I when I sit down to write a thing that that I'm actually that's actually really important to me, you know, how is how has it been navigating the media world from L.A.? Uh, you know, you good. have good. Oh yeah, I prefer it. I, I actually prefer it. There is a, um, I think there's probably certainly um, career opportunities that I've missed out on, even for just like freelance pieces, by not having a network in in New York City. Um, and that's that's something that I've I've been willing to part with, I guess, in, in a certain way. Um, you have a decent network in New York City. Your phone is rang like fifteen times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not I'm not struggling for like New York City friends. Um, and I'm I'm not opposed to living in New York again one day if 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 my job calls for it. I would I would probably if it were the right opportunity I'd move back to New York. You know, and I I told I told them at Gawker that when they first hired me that you know if you ever need me in New York if you really absolutely need me. I would probably move to New York, but I just don't want to. And luckily, they've been they've been allowing me to, to work remotely. But um, there's there's a certain kind of um, strange clannishness about about the New York media scene, and and a, uh, that that is is a bit off putting to me. Uh, my my friends in Los Angeles, uh, certainly some of them are writers, but my friends in Los Angeles are. Musicians and architects and film producers and um, you know teachers, art therapists. You know, the, like um, these are the people that that I spend my time with a lot of the time. Uh, and I don't spend my time with a lot of writers talking about um, media gossip. And I'm not saying that there's not a time and place for all that. And I certainly love to hear as much media gossip as the next guy. I work at a, a website that's that started out as a media gossip blog, but um, it's kind of nice to just uh, be out of that scene for a little bit because I think that it is, I mean, this is such, such a competitive industry and this is such a, uh, it's so competitive what we do and it's, and it's so um, cutthroat in many ways and it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. 
um, it's it's hard <laughs> being, being a writer. Being a writer is being a writer is a hard job, and being a publisher and being an editor, it's a hard job. And, and I think that um, if I were surrounded by that all the time, I, I don't think that there's any way that that I wouldn't be thinking about comparing myself to to other people and comparing my career to other people's careers and, and sort of um, getting into this. Habit. You're legitimately not doing that. I'm no. I'm, I'm not saying that I'm. Oh no. Let's get real. <laughs> Everybody goes on like their jealous jags every now and again. But, <laughs> but but there's but but I think that I do it far less than I would if I were like right. at a New York media party and like okay, it's like you got to go sit on a panel and then you're you're hanging out with like these people from this magazine or these people from this website and you're looking at that writer and wondering why they got that story and you didn't get that story. And I think that when you're when you're when you're literally surrounded by it, then that um, inclination becomes much easier. And and for me, being separate from it, um, kind of literally and figuratively, in a certain way, I think is 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 better for my psyche overall. Well, there's another part of what you're talking about. I mean, like you're really thoughtful about this stuff, and that was part of why I wanted to talk to you for this because we do we get this like consistent line of 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 people asking us to sort of get more real about that like economics of being a writer mm-hmm. in 2013 yeah and, and um in i guess it was in march maybe i don't know that whole uh nate thayer thing happened right yeah. the guy the atlantic, who, the atlantic and yeah. you know some editor asked him to give them a story for free and he wrote about not writing for free and it prompted that whole conversation and yeah. a bunch of people like actually said kind of what they'd earned but only sort of yeah and like it was like this big flare-up in that online media world mm-hmm. um and then it died yeah and i don't talk about it again <laughs> and, uh, but <laughs> for a brief moment people were talking about it and i thought you wrote something really thoughtful about it which was basically like instead of just focusing on the sort of like morality of paying or not paying for the people who are writing mm-hmm. let's think about who this explicitly outlaws from this profession yeah and what is that doing to the profession yeah um so maybe could you talk a little bit about your experience starting out in New York and starting out as a freelancer and how money was involved? So, yeah, that's yeah, that I mean that. Uh, so that piece, that piece basically just said that 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 we that that this these kinds of policies by 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 creating a an industry that that doesn't pay writers has created an industry that is dominated by writers who come from wealth, uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean you know that you're. As rich as Croesus, like wealth, but it can be just like if your if your parents, you know, have have a, a middle middle class people who can afford to like float you some rent money every now and again. Um, so my my story is is very much a typical story in that in that regard because I initially to be uh, to be very honest, when I moved to New York, I moved with uh, my girlfriend at the time who got a, who got a job at uh, Juilliard. And I was kind of miserable um, in my old job in Los Angeles, and I was—I had started writing freelance stuff, and it was started—I start, was doing freelance music journalism for a while. I thought I wanted to be a music journalist, um, and so I'd done like a couple small reviews for Filter Magazine in Los Angeles, and I think that I, I wrote—I uh, had interviewed a interviewed a, a, a musician and, and written that piece, and so. You know, for me, I was like, I'm real kill. I'm killing it. Like, I gotta, I gotta go to go to New York now. It's where the real writers are. I gotta be in New York. And so, I um, moved here with five thousand dollars. That uh, so, so my parents didn't give me five thousand dollars, but my parents had given me a car, 
um, when I was in Los Angeles, and I I sold my car, and they were like, you can you can keep the money like this that 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 will be your money. And so I sold the car for I can't remember it's like maybe six grand, and uh, that was my that was like how I that got was on like my your, that yeah. was your New York dowry. Yeah, that was like how I got on my feet in New York, you know, yeah. and then. Um, I ended up getting an internship at Nerve Magazine, which is like kind of a, a, a shell of itself at this point. But but back then it was doing really well, and it was uh, it was uh, based in Soho, and they were starting up a new blog that was going to be called Babble, that was going to be a, a parenting blog. And I got a uh, an editorial internship there that paid a stipend of four hundred dollars a month, and so that was like it's pretty good for someone with no parenting. Experience. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But Nerve was like, you, do you do you remember Nerve? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So, so I got so so that basically paid like half my rent, and I didn't have I didn't have to pay for car insurance or gas or anything at that point. So, um, that kind of largesse from my parents really helped me get on my feet and establish myself a little bit. That was about six years ago. That so so for the past six years I've been getting paid to write. And I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't have been able to move to New York at least. To me, that's. I thank them so much for that. But I also don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that there are so many people kept out of this profession and kept out of doing, even if it, even if it's not writing. There's so many people who ke- who are kept out of acting and being a musician. And there's there's so many people who kept out of following any dream, be it creative or not, but following so many other dreams because they can't afford it. What do you think? the impact is on this particular profession i think that i think Magazines i think that, journalism i think that, that i think that, that that is why it is not shocking to look at, at a look at mastheads of um, big publications and see if you were if you were to able to, if, if you were to ask people and it's like where did you graduate college yale yale harvard princeton yale yale harvard princeton penn you know and Gawker is Gawker is part of that, you know. There's like there's there's a lot of prestigious Ivy League universities underneath the the Gawker media, underneath the Gawker media umbrella. Um, and I think that that it, I'm not saying that there aren't r- really wonderful writers who have graduated from from Harvard and from Harvard and Yale. I, I think that um, there's a lot of people who are really talented and really smart who went to those places and and who um, who are not kind of uh, clustered and in, into the into their like weird little like Harvard clubs and like talking about squash all the time. Um, but I do think that there is, there's not a diversity of not just racial diversity, but there's not a diversity of thought that I think there should be in media today. There's not a, there's not a, there's not a good uh, breadth of experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the really like important point that you were making that piece, which I was like, I just wanted to bring up again because it's been a while. It's mm-hmm. just like, it's not just the injustice for the people who are doing the work and not getting paid, which yeah. is a shitty thing. Yeah. It's the fact that there are whole scores of people who cannot take that financial proposition. Not that it's a shitty financial proposition, but they're willing to take it. Yeah. But that they can't take it. Yeah. And that to me is like the, uh, God, I, I think that people, I love my job and it's, and it brings me like, I, I just, I, I get I get, like, I, I got I just got goosebumps a little bit because this this is so true and it makes me so sad is I I love what I do every day and I it's allowed me such amazing experiences it's allowed me to meet some some of my best friends and and people that I really appreciate and respect um 
but like I don't ever want to lose sight of the fact that it is it is such a luxury to do what you want to do every day to wake up and enjoy what you do and wake up and enjoy your job and wake up and feel like your um, what you are doing and what you are contributing uh, sort of means something and I don't ever want to lose sight of that and and that uh, that is that is something that so many people just can't afford to do. So many people can't afford to wake up and do what they want to do. Um, they, they can't afford to, to dedicate their, their youth to, um, pursuing, pursuing something that may never, may never pay off financially in the end. Um, then, and they have to, they have to just wake up and, and get their nose to the grindstone and, and, and do a job they hate forever, you know? And I think that, I think that some people in our industry can forget about that and can forget can forget that you know, um, and I think that sh- there's there's talk on the internet sometimes that like you know, cream rises to the top and and you know it's uh it's this you're, if you're a great writer you'll uh then you, then you'll get exposure and people will find you and it's and it's all it's a meritocracy. Yeah, I mean that that you know that philosophy is like pretty strong in Silicon Valley. I think yeah, with like the that sort of libertarian bent where yeah. it's like. We are the best and the brightest. Yeah, and I think that, and and that's it's people, people trick themselves that that's that's the reality, and it's like you, you may be a great writer, but I can guarantee you, uh, thousands, if not millions, of of great artists in this world have have lived and died without ever creating something because they couldn't afford to. You know, I I, I believe that. I don't expect you to like <laughs> have the like answer to the world's problems. Yeah, but. This is a point that, like, you continue to sort of bring up and raise. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts about how it can be improved? Like, if you were running a news organization, do you yeah. have an I- idea of, of how you try and do it differently? Oh, my God. Um, I guess one thing that the, – the, 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 only, the only thing that I can think of is um, – what people's salaries are at the top i would be interested to see at failing media enterprises and at media enterprises that can't afford to pay that that quote unquote can't afford to pay writers i'd be interested to see how much their executives are being paid and whether that be an executive editor whether that be a, a, an executive salesperson um if if you were to open those books and it and and you saw that you know these executive editors and 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 like I said executive salespeople are making uh, you know fifty grand a year and they're and they're working eighty hour weeks and 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 you re- they really can't afford to to pay anybody. It's like well you know that's great and I'm I'm happy for you. But I would I would be kind of surprised if if that were the case at a lot of these places. I, w- I would be kind of surprised if. Um, if any place that says, you know, we absolutely can't afford to pay you, if that's actually true that you absolutely can't afford to pay somebody. I just always feel like it's how you divide the pie. And and it's like if it and, and Yeah, I think I mean, I think it's also about where you place value. So like another response I heard in this conversation is like it's a market thing, right? So if you can get labor or content for free yeah that's where like the market is yeah you shouldn't pay if it's free right yeah if you can get it for free you shouldn't pay yeah um and i think that that in you know that's there is some logic there in the world we live in so it feels to me like you have to you have to place value in 
uh, in not just quality but in diversity to really to really do what you're talking about. Yeah, like and it has to be a value of the operation. Yeah, and and there's I I would uh, and to this conversation I always say also that this isn't. You know, this isn't a new problem. Well, this di- isn't. This isn't like. This isn't. Uh, writers. I, w- I remember. I looked at a. Uh, somebody. Tw- did you see that Walt Whitman letter that somebody tweeted out today? Uh, it was. It was a letter that Walt Whitman had written to the Atlantic, and he said, "You know, I'm. I'm submitting two poems for publication, um, and if you print them, I would like eight dollars a piece." And somebody. Um, somebody looked at looked at what what that eight dollars a piece would would have been in in 2013 money, and it was just like couple hundred bucks for Walt Whitman you know to, to write for the Atlantic uh, so it's it's not like it's not like, even... like no but put that on your personal blog <laughs> yeah, and then we'll link to it exactly no tweet tweet the link out no there is uh, so so I don't think that there was there wasn't a necessarily a time when a lot of writers uh, were, were you know rolling in the dough I think that uh, there are some great success stories in history that people see but I also think that um, people working for 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 less than probably what their what their value is 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 a uh, is a problem that's been going on for a long time and I don't um, yeah maybe I should have stuck with the answer that I don't know if the, I have the answer I, I believe I'd like to believe that there is an answer and I, but I also don't want to part of the problem that I have with saying like if people don't if people wouldn't do it then there then it would fix then it would fix the problem is that like to me that's it sounds very victim blamey uh, because the the fact of the matter is that if you want to work in this industry right now, you have to write for free. You have to be willing to do that, and I did that. That is that's the reality of the situation. And so, so to me, saying that like if a bunch of writers got together and decided we won't do this anymore, you know, and then and that that that, that, uh, that I, I I've heard a lot of. You know, you see a lot of writers who, who who write those kinds of emails who say like, "I'm not going to work for free. Screw you. This is this. You know, you got to value me." Um, the reality is that they're going to say, "Okay, fine. Like, we're going to go, and somebody else is going to write this for, for us for free." And and it, and like I said, it's a. I feel like some people talk about people who write for free as like scabs, you know, and that there's 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 a strike and you're crossing the picket line, man. If you <laughs> if you do that and you're screwing us all over, and I don't I don't believe that because like I said, this is a. This is a very hard industry that we're in, and being a writer is very—it's very hard. And 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 it, and you don't—I feel like having these, um, having loyalty to other writers above, kind of doing doing work that you love and trying to build your career, is is not a good way to to, to parse the situation. We're probably not going to solve it today. Uh, well, maybe we could have a couple more of these beers. Okay, we'll think about it. If you, if you, if you figure out the like perfect solution, then we'll come back and we'll <laughs> unveil it to the world. Um, I want to let you go, but I have, I have one more question. I just want I, mm-hmm. So you started out in New York, came here with the five grand from selling your car, Yeah, made it happen, started writing some pieces, got hired. I went and worked at the root. In oh, the, oh right, no! Right, right. So first, I worked at the Center for American Progress at this yes, uh, right, right, at this right. place, and then and then I went to the root and was at the root for maybe like a year, and then I jumped to L.A. Right, that. went to L.A. and, and worked at Good. Mm-hmm. I talked at length with Anne with Anne about, about Good, yes. about, good, about yeah. the end of Good, so we don't need to get all into that. I don't think. Um, and now you're the West Coast editor for Gawker. Mm-hmm. I think we have not said your age this entire time. How old are you? I'm 31. 31. Yeah. So you've done all these things, kind of have worked yourself around. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you want to get to? 
I want to uh, I want to broaden my uh, I want to broaden my abilities. Uh, there's there's still a lot of writing that that I um, that I haven't done yet that I really want to do. Um, I uh, I asked you that question once before. I should tell you which one. Like, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. Who do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. And your answer was a Graydon Carter. Yeah. It, I mean, that's still true. Graydon Carter was my answer and still is my answer because Graydon Carter does a bunch of weird stuff now. You know, he started Spy Magazine, which is which was um, obviously like a very important moment in, in, in sort of how magazines operated. And they were doing kind of things that were ahead of their time and really interesting and, and incisive and funny. Um, but then he went from that. And ended up working at Vanity Fair, which is obviously like a big traditional legacy media brand. But then he went from that and like Graydon Carter's in movies now and he's <laughs> acting and he like owns he owns a restaurant and he owns a bar and, and he he went and sort of used his used his skill set as a writer and an editor and somebody in media to do a bunch of other things outside of that. And and that's that's what I mean. He he used he used what he knew how to do to end up doing 10 things that he didn't know how to do and that, that he just kind of developed into and grew into. And I think that there's something really beautiful and special about evolving constantly. That's what I, that's, that's a vision that, I, that I would like to follow along. I don't know if I'm going to be in movies one day, but, um, I guess I wouldn't ever like to say that I'd be opposed to it. <laughs> hey Corey, thanks a lot, man. Thank I appreciate you. you, uh, coming in. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Long Form. I'm Max Linsky. My co-hosts are Evan Ratliff and Aaron Lemmer. Our wonderful editor is Lauren Kirchner. Our sponsors this week, Hulu Plus and Tiny Letter. Thanks very much to them. And thanks to our intern, Gavin Jenkins. We'll be back next week. Why do you run? Why does anyone? I always thought that runners loved running, and that's not the case. Most runners hate running, <laughs> but they choose to do it. In the new docu-series Running Sucks, brought to you by Team Milk, Abby Ayers learns why women runners everywhere are driven to go the distance. It really is about taking my power back and proving myself wrong. Team Milk is about fueling women's performance and helping them along their marathon journeys. You can sign up now for the inaugural Every Woman's Marathon taking place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16th, 2024. Learn more and register at everywomansmarathon.com.